Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today you'd like to hear more about, make sure to listen to our weekly podcast called Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take Sunday topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen, church. How we doing here at Frederick? Good. How we doing there at Niwa? Good to have all of you join us live and all of you join us live online. It's great to have the whole family together today. And uh, we've already said it in service, but we start a new series today called Don't Freak Out. Don't freak out. Last week, I uh, ended the service. Alan, our, our founding pastor, uh, spoke, and I got up after and just kind of said thank you to Alan. It was great to have him here this last weekend. Um, but I got up and I said, hey, we're doing a series next week, a new series. Don't freak out. And everybody was like, what is the series going to be? Well, it was actually don't freak out. And interesting enough, we'll talk more about that, but interesting enough, that has been the theme of my coaching and my assistant coaches with me of our third and fourth grade basketball team in our church program. So don't freak out. You get it. Like third and fourth grade basketball, kids are just starting to understand the basketball game. And we have two divisions in third and fourth grade. There's a rec division, and that's the really don't freak out. And then there's the competitive division that you're just hoping that they don't freak out. And I've got my boy, he's 10 years old, and my nephew, um, both of them 10, and they're on the team and coaching with some buddies and excited. We're having a good time. And we get in our first game. It's really interesting. So you get this, like we get in our first game and my boys come out and there's so much energy coming out of these kids. I mean, they're just like frenetic with energy. They're all over the court and the other team is doing the same thing. And so it, we're starting off the game and we're all freaking out, like even coaches and parents, because it's the first game and the freak out is working for our team. Like they're frenetic, it's all over the place. I got good athletes, really good athletes, but only one of them has played competitive ball before. And so this other team, they got this kid, I'm telling you, they got this kid that I want his autograph now. Like, because he's going to be famous someday. This little Carter kid, he is amazing. And we're rolling through this game. We get to halftime. I'm looking at my assistant coach, and I'm like, dudes, we are up by 10. Like, I have no idea how this is happening, but we are up by 10 points. The other coach goes into halftime, looks at Carter, and he says, bro, here we go. And then he comes out, and what does he do being down by 10, third and fourth grade? He puts a full court press on my guys, and my guys look at life like the whole world has exploded. It's like, I don't know what's going on. And they're just, they freak out. And there's, in an upward, in our, in our basketball program, Rocky Mountain Youth uh, Basketball and Cheer, we, there's no timeouts. Like you're, as a, as a coach on the sideline, you have zero control. You know, like usually you can go, time out, time out, ref. Guys, come here, come here. Don't freak out, right? You can't do that. There's none of that. And so they're just freaking out and you're screaming at the top of your lungs trying to get their attention and they don't listen. And so, I mean, I'm telling you, it was that next Sunday, I was like, I'm glad Matt is preaching because I cannot speak today. Because I'm like yelling as loud as I can and we're trying. And we end up, they turn around, Carter goes off for, I don't know, 37 points, not 37, but he goes off for a bunch of points and a super fun game. And we have a good time. It's a learning experience, but it turns around from 10 points up to 12 points down, 22 point turnaround. We lose. So we come into the next game and, and in this league, we've got a, in the competitive league, there's actually a girls team. That's a little club team that's played together for a while. And they put them in this club, in this uh, division because the boys are a little bigger they're a little stronger, they're a little faster. And so it's great competition for these girls. Same thing, halftime, we're tied. 
my boys are kind of a little scared because they're like, dude, we're tied with the girls. And I'm like, boys, we can do this, man. Don't freak out. It's okay. Girls come out. What do they do? Coach is smart. Put the press on. My boys are like, ah! Balls are flying everywhere. And we lose by 12 points. Guys, we're 0-4. We're 0-4. Yesterday, the theme, the theme was this. Yesterday, the theme, we sat down with them. And I just lowered my voice. I sat down. We do the pregame talk. We're chatting a little bit. I was like, guys, here's the theme for today. The theme for today is this. Don't freak out. Like, guys, we worked on our press break. Like, we worked on our press break. When they put the press on, we don't freak out. We just don't freak out. You know, just trying to, like, so in the game, my plan is, is when they start freaking out, and we come to the next period, I'm going to grab them together and be like, guys, don't freak out, right? And so we get into the game, and guys, for four periods, four periods of the game, we did not freak out. Like, we were amazing, four periods. The only problem is, is in, in our basketball program here, because we don't have subbing and we don't have timeouts, we play six periods. And we freaked out the last two periods, and not only did the kids freak out, but the parents freaked out, and the coach freaked out. And there's this one moment in one of these games, it was not this game, it was the week before, and we're doing great, we're doing so good, and we're, we're just almost there, and we're like, we're going to get this one. And I've been telling my boy, I've been like, Luke, okay, bud, you're my ball handler. You're my only ball handler. All these, the guys are learning, they're growing, so I love this team. But Luke's my ball handler, and he's never had to be that. He's always had somebody else on the team that's been the ball handler, and, uh, and maybe just even a little bit more experience. But this time, he's the one. And so I'm constantly saying to him, I'm like, buddy, you got to want the ball. Like, dads, you ever said that? Like, buddy, buddy, you got to want the ball. So you got to, when somebody picks that ball up, you, you got to want the ball. You got to come to the ball. And, and so I'm in the middle of the game, and I'm first four periods. I'm like, buddy, buddy, you want the ball? Come on, want the ball. You got a good job. Want the ball. We get into the fifth period. They put the press on. Everybody starts freaking out. I look at him at one point, and I say, do you want the ball? <laughs> and then I'm like, don't freak out, Right? And that's life, right? In these little guys' game, it's like when, when the uncertainty and the lack of control outpaces their ability, what happens? They freak out. And life is no different. When the uncertainty in life outpaces our ability to control things, what do we do? We freak out. And I don't think there's been any more time for, at least in my lifetime, in the last two years, where I've seen more freak out because... There's such lack of control. But it's not just like we look globally and nationally at different things that are going on and pandemics and all that. It's also in our lives where we just run down to these moments in our lives where, you know, basketball games, we parents and coaches, we think it's like the NBA finals, right? You know, it's something really different when we step into life. And there's things like grief. There's things like loss. And there's things like bankruptcy and divorce and there's things like failure, and there's things like layoffs, and there's all these different things where we just get in these moments where our ability to control is gone. And we look at the ceiling, we're like, God, what are you doing? And he's up there going, I wonder if he's up there going, hey, don't freak out. Like, I got this. Don't freak out. And life seems to be this back and forth thing of us realizing and remembering that, hey, last time this happened, God actually worked some things out. <laughs> And maybe I shouldn't have freaked out. But in the moment when the press is put on, like by life or circumstances or whatever, we just have this tendency to all of a sudden freak out and forget that God's actually involved. 
Because this little thing of uncertainty creeps in and we have this lack of control. And no matter how hard we try to grab onto things, we seem to lose control. And we seem to be like, what? And so we grab harder and, and it just doesn't work. And there's this uncertainty that happens. And uncertainty, just one thing we have to understand is it's reality. Would you agree? A good friend of mine says this. He says, you're either going into a difficult time, you're in the middle of a difficult time, or you're coming out of a difficult time. That's just life. Like, uncertainty is a reality. It's part of life. Now, the other thing that God would probably tell us is, hey, uh, uncertainty is nothing new. <laughs> like, uh, nothing new. I've been working amidst uncertainty, and I do some of my greatest work amidst uncertainty. That's just a part of life. And I think God sits there and he says with us, he says, hey, you would do best to not freak out and to let go of control and to let me take the reins and write a different story. Mark chapter 14. If you got your Bibles, if you got your phones, you got your Bible app, I want you to get there. Mark chapter 14 is, is probably one of the most it's an interesting time. It's, it's probably one of the most uncertain times for Jesus and his disciples in Scripture. It's been described as um, the upper room experience. It's a very dramatic experience. Um, it was the moment, the last moment, the last night that Jesus was together with his disciples. Uh, they were together celebrating a thing that was called Passover. And if you understand what Passover is, think back to the moment at which um, Moses had gone to Pharaoh and he had said, let my people go. Pharaoh had looked at him and he said, no. He said, no, I'm not doing that. Those are my slaves. Like I've had them for 400 years. And you think about 400 years on the side of the Israelites who had been in, in Egypt, like how many prayers had they prayed that had bounced off the ceiling? Like they're looking at just total uncertainty and saying, God, if you were really God, wouldn't, wouldn't you be doing something in this moment? Major uncertainty. And Moses shows up and it's the last night. So Passover was the last night before they were to leave the next morning. It was the last plague. As a plague of the firstborn, the death angel came, and they were to put blood over their doorpost to mark that they were Israelites. They were God's people. They had a meal that was eventually called the Passover meal, meaning that the angel passed over those who were marked with the blood of the lamb. They ate the lamb, and they had the meal together, and then the next morning they got up, and they went out of Egypt. And Moses freed them, or God freed them. And so for 400 years they've been in slavery, then there's this moment where they have this meal and they celebrate and then they go out and they leave Egypt and eventually will end up years later in the promised land like God had promised. So what had happened, God said, he said, hey, I want you to memorialize this, kind of like Thanksgiving for us. We want you to have the Passover meal every single year. And so on a certain day, every single year, they would have a Passover meal on the Sabbath, Friday night, where they would take a lamb pure, blameless lamb, they would sacrifice it, and then they would eat it, have a meal together, remembering, remembering what God had done. So this is 1,400 years later. It's the day before the crucifixion. Jesus is going to be tried, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, he's going to be crucified, there'll be the resurrection, all of that. The disciples don't know that yet. And all of a sudden, they're coming in, and it's Passover time frame. And before, when they've celebrated the Passover with Jesus, it's like this Thanksgiving-type celebration. Like they come together, they're going to do it, they, they make all the preparations. This moment is, think about this week. On Sunday, Jesus rode in on a donkey. 
Everybody sees him come in. It's a triumphal entry and people put down palm branches. They welcome him as a king. And then things get really tense throughout the week. Jesus goes in the temple. He gets really ticked off. They're selling things in the temple. He turns over all the money changers' tables and he freaks out in the temple. And the Pharisees are going, we got to get rid of this guy. And the rumors start flying. The rumors start flying, and Judas starts acting really, really weird. And there's all these rumors about how the Pharisees are after Jesus. And not only do they want to put him in jail, what they want to do is they want to off with his head, like execute him, take care of him. And the disciples who've been sitting there for the last three years seeing things like resurrections, like feeding the 5,000, they're walking around going, yeah. They're having the question in the conversation about who's going to sit on his right and who's going to sit on his left. And when he's king, we're going to be... And all of a sudden, in the middle of this week, everything changes. Even to the point that on Friday, before the Passover meal, Jesus is out in the countryside. He is hidden from the crowds. He sends them back in, like under kind of secrecy, he sends them back in to prepare. Like he hadn't even told them, there's this guy that you're going to meet. He's going to have a, have a room for you. And you go with him, and like he is keeping this secret because he doesn't want the crowds to come and find him. He doesn't want anything to happen before it's supposed to. And the disciples are going like, what is going on? Like there's all these rumors, and we're actually going to go back into Jerusalem and do the Passover meal? Like Jesus, if you're going back in there, some bad things might happen. And then you're being really secretive. All the certainty that they have experienced is gone. And they walk in, and they sit down. And they have this conversation with Jesus, and it gets even more uncertain. In verse 17, it says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Get that. I mean, it's already uncertain. And you walk in, and nobody knows where you are. You don't even know where you're going to celebrate the Passover meal. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, one of you, 12, are going to betray me, meaning hand me over to my enemies to be killed. He goes on further and he says, one of you who is eating with me. You just feel the uncertainty. And I mean, Jesus is usually not wrong, right? He's kind of never wrong. So they didn't ask questions like, hey, are you sure that's really going to happen? Or which one? They're like, just hoping it's not actually true. It goes on in verse 19. It says, they were saddened. And one by one, they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips the bread into the bowl with me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Can you feel the uncertainty there? I mean, disciples who have just seen amazing things all of a sudden are going, what? One of us? One of us is going to betray you and one of us is going to hand you over, and he's been talking about his death and how he's going to be executed, and three days later, something's going to happen. They're going like, is this really reality? And I think what we have to remember, because a lot of us sit in these moments where we are experiencing some uncertainty. Some of you guys walk through the door today, or you're sitting there online, or you walk through the door at Niwa, you're like, life's great. And there's other of you, others of you that walk through the doors, and you put on a life's great smile, but inside... You're just curling up inside because there's difficulty and there's circumstances and there's uncertainty and you kind of don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week and you got a date out there you're looking at. It's like, man, if something doesn't happen by this, this is difficult. Here's what we need to understand. That you don't go through scripture. You don't go through the Bible and find one instance. You look for it. 
You tell me where it is. You don't find one instance in Scripture where miracles or great things or the greatest things that God does in Scripture throughout his story, you don't find one place where they don't happen in incredibly uncertain times. You don't find it. Like take, for, the, for instance, Joseph. <laughs> Joseph, he got a coat of many colors. He's a favorite of dad. And all of a sudden, his brothers see him coming. They chuck him in a hole. And here's the conversation that Joseph hears while he's down in the hole. Do we kill him or do we sell him? How do you like that one? Do, do we kill him or do we sell him? Do we kill him or do we sell him? And Joseph's like, man, just don't kill me, <laughs> right? And they sell him. And you know the rest of the story of being in prison and all kinds of different things that happen with Joseph. How about David? David's got a lot of great things in his life, but if you read through the story, you find this one moment where David's son, Absalom, gathers an army. Like he gathers an army to bring against his father. Like you've had kid problems out there, but I don't think your kid has grabbed an army to come take you out. Like he has to run and live in caves and do all kinds of stuff because his kid is coming to get him. And God's in the middle of that story and there's major uncertainty and you look back and you begin to see all the things that, and there's a mom who all of a sudden the king says, man, I'm getting tired of all these Israelites like reproducing like rabbits. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take out every kid two years old and under. Every son two years old and under. And the mom says, well, now river, crocodiles, sword, we're going to take a chance. And she puts Moses in a basket and sends him down the river. And what happens with Moses? <laughs> he lands in the king's palace. Like you just step back and you look at these stories and we sit in the middle of uncertainty and we just kind of look forward and we're like, man, this is beyond my ability to control. So I'm freaking out at the moment. And God's going, don't freak out. Because this is kind of how I do things. And it grows your faith. And what you begin to see in this moment is you begin to look back. Later on, you look back and you're like, hindsight's 2020. God was doing some amazing things. You've had that moment. You've had that moment where you thought all was lost, all was coming to an end. This is not working. God, what are you doing? And then a year later, you're like, wow, look at what he was doing. Problem is, sometimes it's not a year later, sometimes it's five years later, sometimes it's ten years later. God isn't always on our timetable. But it doesn't mean that he's not active. And so I think one of the best things that we could do, like if you're sitting in a place in uncertainty, the best thing that you could do is turn here. Because that's all this thing is, is written about. Like that's all these stories are because the Bible is not this. Scripture is not this. God's, God's plans throughout history have not been this. They've not been all up into the right. It's not been everything's perfect and man, promotions are coming and retirement's great. We've got three cars in the driveway that are awesome and the house is paid off. And the kids' school's paid for. That's not scripture. But it doesn't mean God's not working. And if all those stories were that, we wouldn't need God. <laughs> what I've found in my life over and over and over again, the more I try to control, the more I mess things up. <laughs> but the more I let go and let God write a different story, the more he writes better stories than I could ever imagine. Is I think we get challenged to trust God when we can't find him. We can't see him. I think we are challenged to trust God when we can't understand him what he's actually doing. And we feel challenged to trust God when we can't manage him and you can't manage God. You can't. And so what do we do? 
Scripture just reminds us when the world is uncertain, God is not. When the world is uncertain, God is not. There's a little kid's song that says this. He's got the whole world what? In his hands. When the world is uncertain, God's up there going, hey, it's good. Just wait a minute. Don't freak out because I got all this right here. I got it in my hands. The story continues. And we know the end of the story. And so it's okay for us. Disciples did not know the end of the story. Mark 14, verse 22 through 24 goes on and it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. We remember this moment. We, we took communion today. This is the moment in which Jesus institutes that and institutes communion. He says, this blood or this, this juice, this wine, this bread, they are pictures of something. My body, my blood that's going to be given for you. And he says, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take it. This is my body. He's foreshadowing something. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. You see, Jesus was picturing what was going to happen. In the next 36 hours, he was picturing the cross, where he was going to be sacrificed, that lamb where they took it for the Passover, that lamb where they sacrificed and they put it over the door frame. He said, here's the deal, guys. That's going to happen. And my blood, and all throughout the Old Testament, it was saying that the Messiah would be the lamb of God that takes away what? The sin of the world, the uncertainty of the world. Sin brought uncertainty in. And God is saying, Jesus will be sacrificed. And if you put that on his blood or his grace on the door frame of your life, there can be certainty. And Jesus was saying, it's going to happen. The uncertainty will come, but God is doing something in this moment. He's about to make a move. And this move he's going to make is going to be for the whole world. And it, it just kind of kicks off all kinds of things. Like commitment and controversy. You think of what the cross stands for. Man, there were cathedrals and buildings and things built over there. There were wars that were fought over this. God is making a move that will change the world forever. But it feels so stinking uncertain to the disciples. And it gets worse. Verse 27, he says, you'll not only betray me, he says, you're all going to fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, foreshadowing, it's not just going to be the cross. It's going to be the greatest event in history, the greatest rescue in history, the resurrection. He says... But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you in Galilee, basically saying, I will see you again. He refers to the, to the wind. He refers to the place where he comes in and says, I got this. But the disciples, it's so dark in the uncertainty, they can't see it. And they're stuck in the middle of it like, Jesus, I can't see this. And then Peter responds how you and I would respond. He grabs hold. Luke 14, 29, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Famous last words. Because that's what we do in the middle of uncertainty, don't we? And Peter did it so many times. In this moment, he's looking and he's like, Jesus. I mean, he just out of his love and out of his commitment, he's saying, even if all fall away, I won't. How many times have we said that? Even in the midst of that temptation, even in the midst of that problem, even in the midst of that uncertainty, I'm not going to fall away. And then next month it happens again, Right? It's life. And Peter tries to grab on. He tries to grab on many different times to rewrite, to realign, to readjust the story. You remember in the garden, 
Jesus just stands there and allows himself to be arrested. What does Peter do? He grabs a sword. He cuts off the ear of the high priest. And Jesus says, no, stop. There's another moment where Jesus, Peter's like, Jesus, that is not the plan. And what does Jesus say? He said, Peter, stop. Get behind me, Satan. He said, how would you like that one? All these moments where Peter's trying to grab hold. And what happens? And Peter trying to control his situation, he was humiliated severely. Denied Jesus three times. Here's the big question. Because so many times the same thing happens for us. We try to grab hold of control. And we try to manipulate our circumstances. We try to realign them. We try to rewrite them. And it doesn't work out the way we want it. And here's the big question. Is it possible, like in the midst of uncertainty, is it actually possible that God is still active? Like in the midst of uncertainty, your circumstances for the disciples, in the midst of this, everything seemingly fall apart. Is, is it possible that God is still active, still accomplishing his purposes when there's no indication of his activity? In your moments of loss, of difficulty, of the things you dream about that aren't happening the way you want them to happen, financial struggles, being laid off, kid problems, is it possible that even in the midst of your uncertainty, even the uncertainty of our own doing sometimes, is it possible that God is still working and he is still active for your benefit? And here's the thing, if that is true, if that is true, man, that gives me hope in the moments. And if it's true that after the whole thing happened and Jesus died and was crucified and then resurrected, then he met a guy like Peter who had failed miserably, who had denied him three times, met him on a beach and said, Peter, it's okay. And here's what I'm going to do. And everybody thought, man, he is going to slam Peter down right now. He said, Peter, I'm going to put you in charge of everything. <laughs> That's our God. That's our God of grace. That's our God of love. That's our God who stands up there in the moments where you mess up the worst or life just beats you up the worst. And he's saying, don't freak out because the press is on right now. But I got a really good press break, right? And I'm in the middle of this and I got my son and I got my Holy Spirit and they are with you. You've got this. No, I've got this. And man, I have a hard time remembering that. Don't you? You see, I think we just kind of sit in the middle of our moments sometimes and we grab hold and we freak out and we forget that God is always working. He's always working. If you were to interview the disciples and you were to ask them, hey guys, what was the most uncertain time? In your entire time with Jesus, what was the most uncertain time you experienced? They would have been right here, right here. Man, the uncertainty, guys, you don't even understand. He looked at us and he said, it's one of you guys. And then it was. And we never thought, like Judas was acting kind of weird and whatever. We never thought it'd be it, but it was him. And then Peter was like, it was me. I denied him. And the rest of them was like, it was us. We all fled except for John. They would have said this was the most uncertain moment. But if you would have asked them, if you would go on, you would ask them and say, guys, that's the most uncertain moment. But where do you think God was doing his best work? 
Where do you think God was like his purpose? He was bringing it all together. Where was he doing this best work? It would not have been when he raised Lazarus from the dead. They would have went like, that was the most awesome. They would have said, this is the moment when life was most uncertain, when God was doing his best work. And he wasn't just doing his best work for us. He was doing his best work for you and for you and for you and for you there at the Nine Watt campus, for you online. He was doing his best work for all of us. And guys, sometimes we think our lives are blowing up. (laughs) These guys were going to die. These guys were running for their lives. These guys did die. And every one of them would have said, I've seen God work so much in my circumstances. I've seen him work so much in uncertainty that you know what? Bring it on. Because there is this thing called heaven beyond this place too. He's not only given us this, but he's given us heaven. We're going to be face to face with Jesus. Bring it on because I realize that God is doing something now. He's doing something in the future. What he's doing now is not even always for now. It's for the future. And it's not even always for me. It's for somebody else. But he is doing something purposeful through our lives. I think what we need to understand is when life is uncertain, God is not. And you got to trust that. When life is uncertain, God is not. And he's got the whole world right here in his hands. And you know what's even better? Is he's got your world in his hands. I think a lot of times you sit in that seat and you sit in that seat and you sit out there and you're like, well, he's got your world, Sean, in his hands. And guys, he does. I got a good friend, a good friend who's one of our elders. And We haven't had crazy circumstances in the last five months, but we've had some weird circumstances. And the thing about weird circumstances, it doesn't matter how big they are or how small they are. When they're out of your ability to control, you freak out. And I'm telling you, the last five months, there's been some moments where I've freaked out. Because just to even give you one little bit, one little bit, I've got a daughter who's a senior in high school that I plan to send her to college at University of Wyoming next August. (laughs) I've talked about some of those circumstances, crazy event of circumstances. She went in January. And I didn't write that story. didn't want that story to happen. I didn't want her eligibility for a senior year of high school basketball to be taken away. Had zero control over that. And I got a good friend that would say to my wife and say to me, hey, be patient. God's got a better story. And I'm like, James, I know that. But right now, I'm not believing that really. (laughs) Because I want to write this story. And I'd like for this story to be a little bit different. And between him saying that and between a passage of scripture that I've loved for a long time, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says, all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I keep telling myself that, and I keep telling myself that. And over five months, I'm like, I'm telling myself that, but I'm not believing it. And I got a buddy saying... He's going to write a better story, and I got God saying, I'm working for your good. You can't see it. It's behind the scenes, and we get to January. We drop her off. She's calling us saying, Dad, Mom, I'm having the time of my life. The Christian people I'm meeting through NAVS and through, through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and the team that I'm playing on and how they've enveloped me in, and then her sister getting to actually get her eligibility back to play basketball, and she's loving this high school that she's going to and the family and, and teams that she's playing with and loving, and she's not having to live in this big sh- sister's shadow, and she's blossoming and doing well, and we're sitting here, and God's just doing, and I'm going, okay, 
James, you're right. God, you're right. And maybe I should just sit here and shut up a little bit and quit trying to do this and start doing this. Because in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Problem is, is sometimes it takes a while. In the midst of it taking a while, you just got to be patient. And I will freely admit that five months of worrying about kids and basketball and college, man, there's some of you worrying about death and disease and bankruptcy and difficulty and problems and relationships and divorce. All things work for the good of those who love God, even those who have done some things that have brought some things on them. All things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It might take a while, but he's there. When life is uncertain, God is not. Don't freak out. He's got my world. He's got Grace's world. He's got Jen's world. He's got Maddie's world. He's got your world in his hands. If you watched uh, the Rocky Weekly last week, Amanda, um, our camps pastor and I watched, she quoted a guy named Craig Rochelle it was a great line. If you're wondering what you do, like what's the application? I don't know if there's a whole lot of application. We'll talk about that next week. But this, Craig Rochelle said this, and she quoted him. She said, God can do more with your surrender, surrender than he can do with your control. God can do more with your surrender than he can do with your control. And so maybe this week what we do is we live like this. And we say, God's got this. Not I've got this, because that's what we have a tendency to do, is always say, I got this. I'm going to make this happen. I got this. (laughs) I find out most of the time I don't have this, and I just keep messing things up. But what I find out is when I say, God's got this, man, does he write better stories. And so why don't we as a church start telling people who are out there, you know what? God's got a better story for you, but you just need to connect with him. You ought to come and sit with me and see what God could do for you, just like what he's done for me. How about we as dads and moms, we start looking at our kids and we say to them, hey, God's got this. That should be the motto of your family. God's got this. Hey, teenage kid, man, when all those other kids are turning against you, when all the peer pressure's there, God's got this. Don't quit. Like, you stay true. You push through because God's got this and he's got a better story for you. And when you lose your job, you look up and you say, you better have this. (laughs) Because I don't know if I do right now. And he's like, don't freak out. I got this. I got this. It may take a little bit of time, but I'm going to find the best for you. And we just follow. And we push through. And we allow God to do what he does. I bet you if you sat there with Peter years later, he would say, man, I got some stories. But I think those stories are stories that God gave me to use, to write down, to be used in Scripture. And he's like, yeah, I did betray Jesus three times. Yeah, I did say some stupid stuff. I stuck my foot in my mouth all the time. But you know what? God used that for me. 20 years later when I'm leading the church in Jerusalem, I just remember what God did. I remember seeing Jesus the first time. I remember seeing the empty tomb. And I look back and say, he's got this. And other people like you and me look at his story and say, man, he's no different than us. And God's got this. And so how about this week? Let's live and let's surrender 
and say, God, you got this. Let's pray. Father, there's probably somebody out here today, and I think they just need to know that before you can actually have this for them, they need to surrender their lives for you. They need to give their life to you and say, Jesus, will you be the forgiver of my sins? Will you be the leader of my life? And I'm going to hand everything over to you. My insecurities, my difficulties, my fears, my hurts, my sins. You can have them. Father, I pray that you will let that person know that when they pray that prayer and ask for you to be a part of their life, that, that you connect with them. And Father, I pray that that person will know that when we respond to Jesus, place our faith to him, in him, that you say that it is by our faith we are saved, and then we respond. Father, we saw that baptism earlier in the service, both services, and Father, I pray that we'll just know that that next step is seeing Jesus, seeing your death, burial, and resurrection applied to us. So, Father, if there's a person here today that has not made that decision to place their faith in you, to schedule their baptism, Father, I pray at both campuses, they'll come up, they'll find that prayer team, they'll pray with them, and they will pray to receive you. And, Father, I also pray that if the person that's out there is the same, man, I've done that, but, God, I'm scared, I'm uncertain, are you really there, that they come to those prayer teams today and they just say, help me, pray for me. And Father, for all of us, as we head out of this place today, I pray we'll walk out not with I got this, but you've got this. We'll remember that in the middle of uncertainty, we might be uncertain, but you're not. You got us. And so give us courage. And then, Father, for the person who's doing well, I pray they will find someone this week to encourage, to lift up, just hold their arms up, their shoulders up, and just say, hey, God's got this, and I've got this with you. I'm with you. Help us to be that kind of church, to invite people to come see what you can do in their circumstances. So God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.